this is an improvement. I think the first time I was just on a screen with you, then it was I got horns in the parking lot beeping, and now I get to see faces. So, yeah, this is awesome. Like it a lot. So we are, if, if, you, if you don't know by now, just recap real quick, uh, we're the Schmidt family going to the Amazon Basin area of Brazil to work with a couple that's been there for 40 years, serving there and just plugging away. They've got a, a summer camp facility, they have a Bible Institute, and then they have this, lots of different property for the church to meet on. And they're in their 70s and been praying for eight years for God to burden a couple to go up there. And that happened to be us. And we're excited about that. We've been on the road uh, after our survey trip for three months, we got back in April of 2019, and we spent, uh, we've been on the road for a year now, uh, a little over a year and, and about a week now, and, and we hit about over 70%, so I'll find out what, what all comes in this next time through, but I, that's just mind-blowing to us that it has gone that fast. And so right now, we originally, when we started out, you kind of give yourself a two-year window is kind of like the norm, and uh, you go from there. And so we originally set out, July of 2021 to get over to Brazil, but now we're looking at in the, this January coming up um, and because we, we scheduled everything out to November this year, and so I, I, my pastor like, just keep what you have set up there and then finish, and then uh, we're going to go and get all of our stuff situated, see family, say the, the four-year goodbye, and then, and then go over, and that's kind of how that works. And so we're, we're excited that, uh, like I said, the, even through all this COVID stuff, God has continued to uh, allow us uh, meetings, and not just allow us meetings, but allow partnerships to take place and people uh, joining uh, us in the endeavor to get to Brazil. And, you know, a lot of that just this month and last month has been due to your hospitality and letting us stay right there. I mean, when some pastors found out we were in town, they're like, yeah, come on over. And we, uh, there's a number of uh, friends that we have on the road that all had to go back to home base and just kind of, it's just kind of on pause. And uh, we haven't had to do pause we just have kept going, and so uh, I'm thankful for that, and thankful for your, again, your hospitality and, and uh, making, having a vision and letting your pastor make something so great like that over there. That is just, I mean, when people find out we're there, they're like, this is, that's, that's crazy. I was like, I know, I know, it's great. So it's over there. Is it there? Yeah, I'm not, I'm directionally challenged. So typically, if you ever see us driving, my wife's driving, because I'm directionally challenged, and then if I do drive, the GPS is on, so that over there. That place. I don't know what's. I don't even know what's over there, but I know the house is over there. All right. So now that we're on that note, we got Ship Ahoy, and then I don't know where I'm pointing. Um, I have you turned to Second uh, Kings chapter twenty. Second Kings chapter twenty. Yep. You can only go up from here, I think. So Second Kings chapter twenty. Now they're in the Word of God. This is what I'm comfortable with. Let's look at um, verses one through six to start off tonight. Here's what the scripture says. In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. And the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Then he turned his face to the wall and prayed unto the Lord, saying, I, I beseech thee, O Lord, remember now how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. And it came to pass, afore Isaiah was gone out into the middle court, that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Turn again, and tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people, thus saith the Lord, the God of David thy father, I have heard thy prayer, I have seen thy tears, and behold, 
I will heal thee. On the third day thou shalt go up unto the house of the Lord, and I will add unto thy days fifteen years, and I will deliver thee in this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. In uh, 2014 or so, I, I began taking uh, courses on web development, uh, like HTML, CSS, JavaScript. I don't know if anybody, anybody in here know any of that kind of stuff? Nerdy like that? Okay, like a couple of you. Yeah, so basically all those things are, that when you go to a website and you're looking at whatever is on that, that's in the background. What's making it happen is those things, HTML, CSS. And so I, I began taking courses on that because <clears throat> I was on a youth rally and I wanted to like put it out there so people could, could, could uh, find it and they could um, register for it. And then our church website was just atrocious. And so uh, I was like, hey, can we, can we work on that? And so my pastor was like, sure. And so uh, I was a squeaky wheel. So I got, you know, I had to go do it. And so then I ended up, shouldn't have said anything, but I did. And so he's like, okay, you fixed the website. So then I ended up getting all these courses for it, and after spending a couple years of tinkering around and watching tutorial and watching thing after thing, um, it started to make sense to me, and I started figuring it out. But then I started noticing that more and more companies were developing what you would call packages or plugins or themes to where it was already done. You just paid 60 bucks, and here it is. Just pop open the box, and I'm like, wow. I spent two years of my life learning how to change the color of text and make it this big, and then put parentheses, and make it bold, and make it italic, and add a picture, and link it to another page, and I was like, wow, it's all, it's all in vain, right? And I was kind of frustrated, honestly, because I was thinking, I wasted all this time on this, and I was not happy about that. I wasn't happy until there was something I wanted to change in this theme that I, I've, of course, I bought one at that point. I was like, yeah, it's probably a theme, Pastor. So we got a theme, and I couldn't fix something in it, and it was driving me crazy, and then I remembered, oh, wait a second. I went into the back end of the code, and I changed it. And I was like, yeah, there you go. So those two years paid off then, right? And so I, I wasn't happy until I ran into some problems. And because I searched and searched, and I found out that it was a back end problem. And so here's the reality. If you've ever worked with that kind of stuff or programming, of, uh, you, then you know this to be true, that there are uh, what you'd call the back end and the front end of a website. And uh, what it, you see on the front end is largely being governed entirely by the back end. And try as you might to try to change what you see in the front end, if there's no code in the back end for that, it's not going to happen. You could spend hours and hours like I did until I found out I had to go in there. Now, I bring that up because there are certain laws that God has in place. He set these in, in place in the back end, if you will, and they're fixed. They, they are there. They're just like gravity, for example. Uh, gravity is what it is. Uh, you're under 10, you want to find out, don't jump off the roof, but you hit the ground. You're not going to fly, it's not, nothing's going to change. It's a law. Uh, the thermodynamics is a law. How about you reap what you sow? These are just laws that, that God has set in place to continuously work. They are in the back end and they affect us on the front end. Now in the passage that we're in, Hezekiah is being affected, I believe, by one of these things. Well, what is that? Well, he, he, gets, he gets sick. And the Bible doesn't indicate that it was a judgment or a God-caused sickness. If you look at the, I looked over this passage quite a bit. I didn't detect that. I didn't notice that, that God was conferring this judgment on him, that God was giving this to him. It just looks like he got sick. Now, Hezekiah was one of those kings, uh, one of the rare kings that actually did right. You know, he, he did the right thing. And 
Um, if, if you're not familiar, after Solomon's reign, uh, Israel split into the two kingdoms, the northern and the southern. And uh, if, you, if you know their history, the northern kingdom, they never had a king that did right. Never did. Then in the south, you didn't have it always that great. Uh, but here he is. Uh, he was one of those kings that did great. He goes a different path from his father, by the way. I don't know if you know who his, his father was, but he went a different path from that. I think it was Ahaz. And despite that, which, which by the way, side note, that's just to let you know, uh, you know, I, I've heard a lot of times, well, I'd be better if my dad was. You don't have to follow in the steps if they're going the wrong way. And, and he's a great example of that. He goes the opposite way. He chooses to do right despite his family upbringing. And so the Bible gives a description of him. I'll read to you in 2 Kings 18. Verse 3, you don't have to turn there. Here's what it says. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. He removed the high places and break the images and cut down the groves. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. For he claved to the Lord and departed not from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord commanded Moses and the Lord was with him. That's pretty awesome. For that to be said about you forever, that's been written down, that this is what he did is pretty awesome. So that's kind of his testimony. It's important you understand it because that plays into the sickness here and what, what he does with it. Just before our account in chapter 20, Assyria had come up against Israel to fight them. And God comes to Hezekiah's defense and he wipes out their entire army. You may remember the angel and the 180,000 or so that were just destroyed. And it was quite incredible and right after that deliverance, you come to basically chapter 20 in his life, where he was a good king, he was a godly leader, there was none like him, he was uh, none that would be like him after that, and a king who clearly was walking with God, living for God. And what happens to him? He gets sick. He gets sick. It's just a reality of life that sickness happens, because we live in a sin-cursed, sin-filled world, don't we? That's just how things are. It happens, and it gets so bad that God sends his prophet to tell him to get his house in order because he's not going to recover from this. He's going to end up dying, and just so you know that he meant that, he says, thou shalt die and not live. So there's no way to miss that, is there? You're going to die, and you're not going to live. You know, it's like, okay, yeah, you're not going to miss that. It's pretty clear. That's the emphasis. Kind of hard to misunderstand. And, and here's another reality that we, we come to, that just because you're living for God, and just because you're following God to the best of your ability and you love him does not mean that you're exempt from problems. They just happen. In fact, I would say that it's, it's not unusual for those who are walking with God and are seeking God to find themselves in situations that are unfortunate. I would say that's the case. And so Hezekiah finds himself in a situation that is beyond his ability to change. He can't fix the situation. It's beyond his understanding, and it wasn't because of anything that he failed to do or do. It's neither one of those. And so I can only wonder then what Hezekiah was thinking about this. Just you got to put yourself in, in there to, to, to kind of get more out of this here. I mean, put yourself in a situation. You're a king. You're living for God. You've forsook in the way of your father. You're going the right way. God has just given you an entire deliverance with this army, and yet death is at your door. I mean, I, I can only imagine if he didn't sit there and think to himself, oh, man, of all the kings, of all of the kings that have gone before me, I'm one of those few, none in the north, but in the south, I'm one of a few that have tried to lead the right way. 
and I've served God with all my heart, and this is how I'm going to go down. You say, well, you're making a big deal about that. Well, yeah, because there was a promise given to the king that he had a long life. Now, understand when, when a prophet came to you with a message from God, that's a big deal. Uh, you could mark it down, it's 100% going to happen. If not, it's not a prophet. So, so, so you have to get all these things in, in your mind here. What, I, what Hezekiah heard had to be true in his mind, right? He had to be true. A prophet just came, otherwise he'd be a false prophet. So when this pronouncement of death from Isaiah came, the prophet of God, I really think it would have been quite reasonable if Hezekiah had said to himself, it is what it is. Right? If Hezekiah had just accepted this pronouncement from the prophet, and the next verse, it would have read something like this. And Hezekiah slept and his, uh, with his fathers, and his son reigned in his stead, right? That's a lot of times in the Old Testament. You would have, I think you would have seen something like that. Because to me, the prediction was clear. No alternatives were given. There was no solution presented. There was no getting out of this. You were given the death sentence here. And yet, the passage doesn't stop there. Something incredible happens. Look at verse 2 again. Then he turned his face to the wall and prayed unto the Lord, saying, now, now this turning the face to the wall, I've, I've studied that out. Did it mean anything? And I don't think that that meant anything particular. It wasn't magical. We understand that. The idea of turning the face to the wall was, was simply this. I believe Hezekiah was removing himself from the distractions. He was there laid up, the nurses were coming in, whoever was coming in to try to mitigate the situation, try to fix the situation. And I think Hezekiah was just saying, I'm done with this. There's nothing here. It's not going to matter. It's beyond your ability to understanding. The prophet came in. He said, you're done. Um, and so he turns his face to the wall. He turns himself to seek God. In other words, this, is, this wasn't a half-hearted attempt. It wasn't Hezekiah just sitting there and while the nurses are fixing him, he's like, Lord, please help them. He's literally saying, I'm done with you. I'm going to seek God. And, and that's what he does. And I, I'm sure that maybe you've done that before yourself. You have been at work or you've been driving and, you, and just, you've been crushed with something coming up in your life. Maybe a temptation or maybe something when your family that was just devastating. And news you found out and it was bothering you. And, and you're at the point of like, what am I going to do? And, and as you're driving, you can't just stop. But it's almost like you turn your face to the wall and you just seek out God and say, God, God you've got to help me with this. God, I need your help with this. I don't know what to do with that. It's because it's not like you can just head out to your favorite spot at work and just go pray or you're limited maybe physically like Hezekiah was. And so what Hezekiah does is he just turns right there and he talks to God. And then you look at his prayer in verse three. He says, I beseech thee, O Lord, remember now how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. Now Hezekiah's prayer uh, it's really important you understand this. If you notice, he was, he's appealing to God. He says, remember something. And then he states a couple different items that he felt were important for God to remember. If you notice that, that's what he's doing here. Now, understand Hezekiah is only about 39 years old at this time. That's it. Now, like I said earlier, in the Old Testament, length of days was expressly promised to the righteous. You can find that in Proverbs uh, 3.2 and 9.11, you can go to the book of Job, you can find it in the book of Psalms. It was kind of promised to the kings, like they could just depend on it. But here he is, he's only 39 years old, and then you have, I'm sure in his mind, he was thinking about the fact that Uzziah lived to be 68. Remember Uzziah? Nasty king. And then you have Rehoboam, who lived to be 58 years old. 
I'm just going to give you two of them, but there are many kings that were wicked, that were in direct defiance to God, that were outliving him almost by double. And here is this man, this young king who is trying to follow God and more than anybody else before him or that's going to be after him. And he has just seen deliverance from God and yet he is sitting at death's door. And he's thinking to himself, I'm, I'm imagining, how is this working out? How are God's promises, they're not happening. It doesn't appear like what God promised, these laws that God set in place, that you have long length of days, that what he promised on the back end is actually happening on the front end. And so I see that he cries out to God and he begins to weep. Now, I'm not going to break down the prayer for, for, for sake of time, but I want you to look at what happens next in verse 4. And it came to pass, before Isaiah was gone out into the middle court, that the word of the Lord came to him saying, listen, Isaiah, no sooner had Isaiah left that before God communicates to him again, he didn't even get to the middle of the court and God says, hey, um, I have an updated message for you to go and to give to my servant. That, that, that's amazing. He didn't even get all the way out and God says, okay, I'm gonna make some changes on the front end for Hezekiah, uh, Isaiah. I want you to go and tell him. And th that, that's pretty awesome. And you notice he says, I have heard thy prayer. You see that in verse five, he says, go and tell, uh, that turn again and tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people, thus saith the Lord, the God of David, thy father, I have heard thy prayer. Now, when I look at this, the, the, the different variables here and the interplay in this account, here's how I come away. It's written in such a way that you would imagine that mm, if Hezekiah didn't pray, you'd have died. You, you see in that? I've heard thy prayer. Okay, what, what, what are you going to do about that? Well, I'm going to give you more days. So I'm looking at this, and I'm coming to this idea, man, if Hezekiah hadn't prayed right there, his life would have ended. It would not have been extended because there was nothing that Hezekiah could have done on the front end, no medicine, no doctor, absolutely nothing because the prophet had made it emphatically clear, you're going to die and not live. And I think that Hezekiah, knowing the character of God, knowing the nature of God, cannot fathom that he is given this, this edict from God. So what he does is he turns away from everything on the front end. He turns away from anything he can get from the earth. And he just turns and he cries out to God on the basis of what he knows about God. That's what he does. And when he does that, God sends his prophet back with an updated message. I've heard what you said, and because of that, I've decided to give you more time. Now, we can ask the question all day, man, was it God's will that he was sick in the first place, right? I mean, that's a question. Was it God's will he was sick in the first place? Maybe God was just testing him. Maybe God was seeing um, what he would do in this time. It was a test, or uh, was it really God's will that he die? Was it God's will that 15 more years? I mean, which is it? I think when you look at the text, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't indicate if it was a test or a trial. It just says it happened. Almost like it was just part of, a, of the natural course of life and it was such a bad sickness that he was going to die from it. And in reality, God was really being gracious and letting him know that he was going to die. You know, there are many times where a king would die in the Old Testament and they didn't have the warning. So they couldn't get things set up. Like we would talk about having a will. We're having our state in order. What's going to go where? There are many kings that didn't have the opportunity. Hezekiah was getting this from God. Hey, you're going to die, so go and get your family together, spend some time with them, and get everything fi uh, figured out for the future. 
So God really was being gracious to him even in that. And again, you got to come away with this. You're hearing the prophet of God come to you and say, that's going to happen. You're hearing him say, that is going to happen. Wouldn't you walk away thinking, well, must be God's will. This must be what God wanted. And this is the principle that I, I, I hope to show you tonight that runs throughout the scripture. And that's this, that, that God can change the future. God can change the future no matter how set in place it looks in the present. Now, now please don't let, just don't let that go by you. Because this is something I think especially as Christians, we come to an area of our life or we look at a situation or life in general and we begin to view it kind of this way. It is what it is. Yeah, it must be. I mean, if God wanted it to be different, then he'd do something. Let me make it even more spiritual, Sonny, right? It must be God's will. Because if God really wanted this to be different, then, then surely God would do something about it, right? And it's almost like that we can come at life or our problems or our situations with a deterministic mentality, with a defeatist mentality that, Man, if God wanted me to overcome that temptation, or if God wanted me to overcome this area, or if God wanted to give me freedom over this, then, then I trust his power to make it happen. And we can come across it that way, but l- l- listen, it could be that your situation is one God is willing to change. It could be that. Because the question isn't his ability, to, ability or power to make it happen. I really believe that when we look at this account, and I'm going to show you some more in Scripture real quick, that we are seeing a glimpse into a window in the scripture where God is, is uh, through appealing to his promises and appealing to his nature, that God is willing to rearrange things. I think that's a very valid thing here. But you might think, but how do I know if this area of my life or this thing I'm dealing with, how do I know if God is going to do something with it? How, how do I know if God's going to change that area? Well, honestly, we don't know. We don't know at all. But here's what we do know. There are some things that do change at times. We do know that. Here's here's what we do know. If Hezekiah hadn't prayed, he would have died. We do know that. Here's what we do know. Because Hezekiah did pray, he was given more time. We know that from the passage. So that tells me this. If there was ever a possibility, if there was ever a possibility of a change in your life, that possibility would only be uncovered through the seeking and appealing to God about it. We didn't examine his prayer in great detail, but that's what he was doing in his prayer there. And this isn't the only place this happened in Scripture. I want you to turn real quick to 2 Kings chapter 1. 2 Kings chapter 1. We're going to find another king. And what he did. Look at verse 1. Then Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. And Ahaziah fell down through a lattice in his upper chamber that was in Samaria and was sick. And he sent messengers and said unto them, Go, inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover of this disease. All right, so here's a situation where I, I believe, looking at it again, we are led to think of it this way. A natural thing happened. He was up there work, He fell. God didn't push him, no angel. There was no donkey that smashed his leg into the wall. There was nothing superstitious about this or whatever you would say. That It's just like this. He's up there and he falls. And he gets, and it's a bad deal. There's no judgment, nothing's done that. But what does he do? He doesn't seek God. 
No, he seeks Beelzebub. He seeks another god. Instead of going to the great physician, he sidesteps him. Look at verse 3. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, and go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say unto them, Is it not, because there is not a god in Israel, that ye go to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord, Thou shalt not come down from that bed on which thou art gone up, but shalt surely die. And Elijah departed. Now I think what's, what's fascinating about this situation is if you look at it, there are 13 more verses until he dies. 13 verses where he has an opportunity and not one time does he seek God, does he? No, if you know the account, he doesn't at all. Not one time does he seek God. So what happens? Well, what God said happened. He dies. That's what God said would happen, right? But, but wait a second, hold on. Do you think he could have lived? God gave him 13 verses to seek him. He didn't die. It wasn't immediately. See, two, two similar situations, two different approaches, two different mentalities, two different outcomes. Remember Moses with the children of Israel in Exodus 32, 9, the Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them. I will make of thee a great nation. And Moses, listen, besought the Lord his God. And we know the rest of the situation. Uh, Moses appeals to God's character and his nature. And in that, God withholds the judgment, doesn't he? Now, I think a lot of times an atheist or a critic of the scripture will look at these accounts and say, there it is right there. Plenty of contradictions in the Bible. God says he doesn't change. He does change. He says it's the same. He's not the same because look, he did this, but then he did that. And, and they could look at this and say, oh my goodness, there's so many problems with the Bible. Here's my answer to that. God isn't changing in any of those situations. He's not changing. What is changing is his dealings with mankind. See, because God in his nature and in his essence does not change. That is true. He is always the same. He does not change. But it's because of his unchanging nature and his character that God also offers mercy. And God offers to bless those that seek him. And so when we go to God knowing those things about him and we appeal to him on that basis, God's not changing his nature. He's changing his dealing with you. It's precisely because of that, of his unchanging nature, that leads him to change his dealings with man. And the Old Testament is full of examples of this. If you obey, I'll bless you. If you don't obey, well, you're going to get a curse. It's all throughout the Bible. Now look, lastly, in Matthew 11. I want to show you one last one, then I'll bring it home to us to think about. Matthew chapter 11, in verse number 20. Then began... He to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. Woe unto thee, Chorazan, woe unto thee, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. Look at this. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained unto until this day. Now, if you know this, but Capernaum and Chorazin and Bethsaida, they, they form what would be a triangle. If you were to look on a map and see those cities, they kind of form a triangle of sorts. 
and Bethsaida is where Peter and Andrew are from, Christ is from Capernaum, and in and, and, and those areas surrounding uh, those, uh, the triangle of these city, three, three cities, 60% of all of Christ's miracles took place. 60% of them took place. That's why he says, whoa, if, if, if most of the mighty works were done there. That's why he says that. And he goes through each of those situations, and what does he say? He says, if, if, if. So here's what I want you to see again. God's omniscient. He knows the future. He knows every event that's going to happen. But here's what else he knows. He knows all the possible futures. He knows all the possible events. He knows all the possible outcomes. He knows the outcome of every potential choice a person could make. So tonight, I want to just bring this to you. Are there any areas in your life that you've, that you've written off? That maybe you've said in your heart, kind of like when Sarah chuckled at God and says, you're going to have a baby. He's like, really? Maybe you've said in your heart, maybe not out loud, but you've said in your heart, well, this must be what God wants for me. Maybe you've said, it is what it is. This must be God's will. Maybe you've said, well, if God really wanted this to be different, then surely he would do something about it. Maybe he has. Maybe tonight he has allowed you to see into a, a window in the scripture where your future through prayer and appealing to his promises and his nature can be rearranged. Remember the Apostle Paul? His thorn in the flesh. Do you know what he did? You know, how, you know what his mentality was? I'm going to keep seeking God about this. And he did until God said stop. What if God had said stop? You know what Paul would probably have done till his death? God, take this from me. God, help me with this. God said stop. And this is the point. Why, why would Paul do that? Because I think Paul had a grasp on the nature of God. And he had a depth to the understanding of the character of God. He understood that about God. But this goes farther than just you, I think. I think this goes farther than just our life because here's a question for you also. Who has dropped off of your prayer list? Who is, who is not in your prayer time anymore because it's been five years? Because it's been 10 years you've been praying for that uncle or that aunt or your son who's gone away. Who has dropped off your prayer list because nothing's happened yet? You know, even while we've been on the road traveling for this past year, I, I, I don't know how many numbers of testimonies I've heard from men or ladies as I'm talking to them that they've said, man, my, my dad was lost and I prayed for him. It was 20 years and he came to salvation finally. And they told me that because my dad's that way. And there was a season in my life where for five years I didn't pray, I didn't pray or witness to him. Well, how'd you do that? Well, because I had already prayed and witnessed to him for probably five or ten years before that. And it kept on witnessing to him. And it just became this, and I was like, I'm done. I'm done. You know what? It's not going to change. It's not going to make a difference. Is he saved today? He, he's not saved today. But you know what? It hasn't been 20 years, has it? I'm hearing testimonies from other brothers who sought God for 20 years and found the answer. I think it's important that we think about this. There have been areas in my life where I've given up on prayer even as a missionary, I'm not immune to this. This is just a reality. I stopped believing God would do something about it. And so what did I do? Why well, I stopped asking him about it. Isn't that what it comes down to? What do you understand about the nature of God? How much do you know the character of your God? 
how does that affect how you pray? It makes all the difference. It makes all the difference. So have you lost hope for yourself? Have you lost hope for that situation? Have you lost hope for maybe a loved one? Here's what I'll encourage you tonight, really simple. I want to encourage you to approach God like Hezekiah and not like Ahaziah. I want to encourage you to get depth with the God that made you and know his character and know that no matter how bleak the situation looks, he wants you to seek him. God's commanded us to do a lot of things, but one thing he's commanded us to do without ceasing is pray. You know one of the first attributes that God wants those who are lost to, to look at? He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That's one of the crowning things about God that he wants you to know. Seek me d diligently, and I'm going to reward you for that. So tonight I want to encourage you with that. Let's pray. Father, come to you tonight and I just